My name is Scott Challoner, and you are listening to the Leaders Council podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. As regular listeners of our show will know very well, part of our mission here at the Leaders Council is to bring you a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. And to this end, we're joined on today's programme by Daniel Kirby, founder and CEO of the Tech Department, a plug-in tech team for impact-led startups that's headquartered in Sheffield, South Yorkshire. Um, Daniel, a very warm welcome to you today and thanks for joining us on the show. It's a real pleasure having you with us. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Uh, Great having you alongside me as well, Dan. And uh, just to kind of uh, set the scene, really, for those listeners that might not be familiar with uh, your business, I've given a brief overview as to what it is that you do. But in your own words, what is it that you really specialise in? Uh, Well, our particular particular niche, I suppose, is is helping startup founders who are at a very early stage uh, and want to uh, build a technology product to do that in a way that um, uh, doesn't get them in a hole. Uh, often um, people, when they work with uh, development partners or, or, or techies, um, have a bad experience. And um, the way we do what we do is, is, is very, very different to everybody else uh, in that we very much focus on the vision and the strategy and the purpose of the founder and then design the technology around that rather than focusing on the technology first. So we help people go up their growth curve by spending less money up front and being more efficient about how they invest in the technology and building a, a product that will scale uh, as they want to scale and not hold them back. Yeah, certainly makes sense from my perspective. And um, I think it's been around for quite a while now, hasn't it, the uh, the tech department? So it was around about 2004, I think it's right, that you were established? That's right, yeah. So we were eight, 18 and a half years old, which in, in internet years is um, like, like dog years. It's very old. But yeah, it's, um, so we've been doing this for a long time. And in fact, the, the sort of history, we used to do this actually for, for big companies. So we, 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 learnt, we sort of cut our teeth working with um, uh, big companies like NBC Universal and Microsoft Advertising, where we would plug in as a, uh, a team building digital products for, for them that would run out, roll out globally. And in fact, uh, uh, we built the BBC Children in Need fundraising platform about six or seven years ago and helped them use data to, to, to have record-breaking fundraising years consecutively. So we, we cut our teeth doing that uh, sort of thing that I described earlier for big companies. But through a, a set of experiences we had in the last five years, have, have chosen to niche down to focus on startups. And as you say, particularly impact-led startups or social purpose startups because we get a lot of purpose ourselves from helping those people make impact through the use of technology. And so we've uh, we've pivoted our business really, even though we've been going for 18 years, the last five years we focus much more on smaller companies and startups, but we cut our teeth with big companies. And um, are there any kind of commonalities in the sort of issues that you sort of help startup businesses with? Um, Are there any sort of problems that sort of startup entrepreneurs tend to sort of fall into regularly in terms of like little traps or anything? Yeah, yes, there is. And, and actually, it's, it's quite simple, actually. It's, it's, um, and this is, by, by the way, is a, is, a, is a thing that everyone falls into, whether they're a big company or a small company, but it's more acute as a problem for a startup or a small business than it is for a bigger company. And that is that when uh, people look to do something using new technology, what they first do is go out and Google for uh, you know a partner or, or a platform that they could use, and they get caught into looking at the features of the software, the features of the technology, the platform itself, all the details about the technology itself. And whilst 
you know, nine times out of 10 nowadays, that is the sort of substance of what you need to do. What we learned um, uh, in, in a little experience we had about five years ago where we had a, some difficulties in our business, is actually what's most important before you get to that is to actually understand why you need technology in the first place and then focus on the improvement that you're trying to make from where you are today, not trying to sort of specify a, a big piece of technology. All right. And so that's a, a shift in mindset about how you look at the tech or the problem or the opportunity of using technology. So the common thread we see with startup founders is that they've gone out, they've had an idea and they've got in their mind a platform or a product or a service they want to create with technology. And that product has a series of, of features, functionalities, uh, and, and things that they want it to do. Then they go to a web developer or a digital development team, or they go offshore and they say, please build me this thing that I've got in my head. And the developer says, thank you very much, uh, and, uh, and doesn't question that because, of course, it's not in their interest to question that. And then you build it, and actually, um, it might be wildly overspecified or actually just wrong because you got your hypothesis wrong about what the market wants, or it's built in a way that can't scale, which is quite often we see that, or that you get into a, 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 a sort of endless quagmire of micromanagement of a series of, of web developers about specific features that you may or may not even need. And then you, as the, as the founder, end up becoming a de facto quality assurance manager or, or technical manager mm -hmm. of a development team instead of being a leader of a startup that's trying to raise funds or build a brand or serve its customers. So, so the common pattern we see for founders is that they focus firstly on the technology instead of how can they improve their startup from where it is today using technology. And that's where my business fits because we, we kind of had a, a revelation that got us to that way of thinking. And so was it, would you say it was that revelation then um, and that willingness to go and help startup businesses that was behind the tech department coming together? Was that kind of like the driver for you going into business for yourself, would you say? Uh, not really. Back in the day, 18 years ago, we had a software product that we uh, built and were marketing. And um, I mean, this, back in the day when software was actual software, not on the cloud, like, you know, this is 2004. But the motivation for us now, so what ended up happening, actually, just to tell a little bit of a story around, around our company, mm. is we were going, uh, building digital products for big companies very successfully uh, for about 13 years. And then in 2017, we had a really bad year mm. and the business blew up in a bad way. And we lost a lot of money and had to scale back the, the headcount in the company from about 25 people full time to 15. And it was very painful and very difficult. And um, and in the middle of all of that, when I was kind of hemorrhaging a lot of money in 2017, I, I, I went back to first principles and thought, well, why is it that I've, 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 um, I'm in this situation? And really, the, at the core of it was we'd built a business that was doing really cool, innovative new technology for these big companies. Mm. But it wasn't very clear at the end of a project what the positive impact or the return on investment or the improvement we were making for these uh, businesses so that when they went, you know, the check was going to be signed off, the, the, or when the project was going to be signed off, the, the CFO was, wouldn't sign it off because it, it, it wasn't apparent how we were improving their business. So in that moment, when we were learning this very difficult lesson, we, I had the realization that actually if I built a business that systematically created improvement for its customers through the building of these new technology products, and we focused on that as a, as a primary 
method within our business. That was a better strategy than doing what we previously had been doing, which ended up putting us in this difficult situation. So, so the pivotal moment where we sort of shifted our focus was, was kind of 2017 and when we managed to turn the business around. And then building on that, we created a method which we call the tech boot camp, which is a, a way of focusing all of us, including our clients, on what's most important and why it's important, and then trying to build a product that will serve what that is, as opposed to just chucking loads of money at features and technologies, which may or may not be appropriate at that particular moment. So, so the thing that really drives us now is that insight that we learned from A, working with lots of very cutting edge big companies, and B, nearly losing the business. So it's very, very hard one. And after, you know, this is 13, 14 years of being in business. That one single insight is a transformation in terms of how successful your technology is for your company over the, the medium to long term. And, and it, 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 but it's a shift in mindset. So, so for us, it was a way of, uh, of crystallizing something very different to how everybody else approaches it, but is, is of absolute uh, importance to the founder of a startup when you have limited time, limited resources, and every penny you invest needs to really work for you. And the method we got through the boot camp helps ensure that's happening. And so the kind of the, 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 the risk is reduced of, of, of wasting your money and your time. Plenty of food for thought there for anybody tuning into this who, you know, may be thinking of starting a business or may have their own sort of startup that's looking to hopefully uh, take off. And it just goes to show that experience, doesn't it, Daniel, that, um, you know, you learn more, don't you, in the times of adversity than you do like when things are going well. And that experience, you've used that to essentially reroute the entire business. And uh, for anybody who, you know, likes digesting podcasts uh, beyond this particular show that we're recording today, um, you do have your own, uh, Daniel, which is rooted in that story of how you sort of turn the business around uh, honey i blew up the business and i must say fantastic name thank you oh, oh yeah honey i blew up the business is my podcast and you'd be pleased to know that the name which uh, we chose to use was literally a joke uh, from a friend of mine who said you would never ever use this this is a really bad idea but how about honey i blew up the business and i thought well yeah that's actually brilliant so we'll use that <laughs> so you, it's, it's, it's sometimes interesting where good ideas come from but literally he, 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 he thought it was a stupid idea but the, the whole premise of my podcast is to talk about the moments in entrepreneurial life when things go wrong when things are going off track when it's, it, it's gone bad yeah because it always happens and that is always something that's going to happen to you in a, in a business and, and this podcast is about leadership. And, and for me, the, mm. the important part about leadership is navigating the adversity, navigating the difficult times, almost the shadow side of entrepreneurship. The things that, you know, people like to focus on, you know, the positive stuff, like, you know, I've, I've sold my business or I've achieved this award, or I've got this status and I've climbed this mountain. But the, to get there, you've got to go through lots of kind of dark nights where you're searching your soul and you're having to kind of like turn the business around. And that always happens. But, but my, so the purpose of my podcast is to sort of sit in that moment and actually talk to very, very leading entrepreneurs uh, from around the world about how um, they turned difficult situations to their advantage or what they learned when they were sat in this dip when their career was all gone wrong and, and how they dealt with that emotionally and what practical things they learned from that experience. Because that is the raw material, to your point, that, it, that is the most valuable. Because that is where you learn really your trade mm. as an entrepreneur and as a leader is, is navigating through the difficult bits. 
because the easy bits or the fun bits or the, the bits when you're winning is kind of easy. You know, it's, it's great. You know, you, you, it's, it's the shadow side. How are you going to get through that difficult bit? That's, that's the bit I think for me was a, basically was a breakthrough. Like the worst year of my career, this, this explosion where I blew everything up. And, and by the way, it was more likely we'd have, I would have been a bankrupt homeless dam than a, a guy that turned his business around and has got a successful business still. And it was a very, very difficult period. But that created the breakthrough of thinking that got my business to, to turn around and transform. And also me personally to, to, to turn around and transform. Because the more I worked on myself and the more I improved my psychology or my, my, my way of viewing the world, my mindset, the business consequently improved uh, as well. So the whole thing was like an explosion that broke through to a new level of, of, of depth of insight about how I could turn my business around and turn myself around to have a much more uh, uh, rich and ex- experience in both personal and professional life. Yeah, it's the win or learn mentality, isn't it? It's either you're succeeding or you're where you do have the setbacks. You're not shying away from them or seeing them as a terminal failure. You use them to learn and you use them to pivot and change direction. I think that's uh, there's so, so much importance in uh, in that message. And I guess during times of adversity and certainly in any time as well as a as a, as the leader of a business, something that's also incredibly important to consider is how you manage morale within the building and how you manage mental health. Certainly, and uh, this is a topic certainly so. Um, since the pandemic that has come up an awful lot on this on this program and I just wanted to uh, sort of uh, look into your your views on that uh, Daniel and uh, how important you view sort of mental health in the workplace both in terms of sort of looking after that of your employees from a leadership perspective but also taking that time out for you as the one at the top as and when you need it. Yeah yeah exactly I mean I I think one of the the things I learned in my 2017 blow-up was the importance of uh, how I was uh, thinking about the world and the role I was in. Okay, now this sounds a bit esoteric, uh, but it's fundamental. Yeah, and it's not a thing you do at the end of the day. This is a thing you do at the start of the day. Now, this also applies to your uh, how, the team and how the team experiences its work. So, 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 so often, what you think is, well, I'll just do my work and then I'll take some time out and do it to help my mental health. Okay, and that's kind of how perhaps I have historically looked at it. And, and by the way, I've, I've, I've had um, real issues with burnout and mental health over the years and, and, and um, uh, was diagnosed with depression about eight years ago. So, so I've kind of been at the sharp end of this and how I kind of run a business and, and, and have a life which is very creative and very expansive, but also dealing with a, um, a mental health condition. And, and the, the way I deal with that and the way I, that's what I learned in my blow up is to, to work on my psychology as if it was the primary technology in my business, okay? So, so you know, you, you need mm-hmm. technology to upgrade and to improve. Primary technology of any entrepreneur, and I would argue any leader, is their psychology. Okay, what I mean is how they experience the world by, by, by so the information that comes into you is processed through your psychology, okay? So if you, I don't know, don't get paid on time, that piece of information is, is, is what it is. And you then take it into your psychology and you can label that as good or bad or indifferent or, or any stripe of, of, of emotion you might want to stick on that. How you do that and if you do that is a function of how you uh, approach the world, how your psychology is, is programmed. You could call it a philosophy and you could also call it a mindset. Yeah. So I like to use the word mindset. It's quite kind of functional. How you set your mind is your mindset. 
So this is psychology, right? And that's a primary tool that you can use to, to make your life, experience of your life, more straightforward, more fluid, less dramatic, less ups and downs, right? So, so, uh, so you can choose how you respond to these things, but it, it requires practice and careful craft and a, almost a reprogramming of your technology that's running on your mind. So you can actually do that. So for me, the crisis in 2017 acted as a breakthrough where I realized that actually what I was doing was I was experiencing work wrong. That's why I had depression. That's why I had burnout. That's why I had my business blew up. Because I was approaching my work moment to moment with the wrong programming in my mind. So I uh, then have worked very, very hard in the last five years to reprogram myself. And I do that through reading a lot and, 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 and looking after myself and, and sort of having good habits, that are composite of a set of activity. But that means that the experience I have in my work is less drama, and that is with my mental health. And, and now my depression, quote unquote, is far less of a thing. It's like a kind of undulating up and down rather than a roller coaster. And that's because I've shifted my mindset. And, and, and so that's great for me, but that same thing applies to my team. So these principles are encoded into our operations manual, our culture. And so we have a very open uh, conversation about things like mental health, but we preempt it by having a, a culture where things are discussed openly and, and we deal with things in a calm manner. And that is how you handle men- good mental health, in my humble opinion. Yeah, certainly so. And uh, the principles within that mindset, the get ahead mindset, as I know that you call it, there's some there's some incredibly important stuff in there, isn't there? I mean, it's not just about, of course, um, sort of fostering proactivity, positive focus and sort of open sort of dialogue on these things. But it's also about sort of a little bit of humility as well. And I think certainly from a leadership perspective, that's incredibly important because if you are the leader at the top of a business who's almost kind of in this corporate environment where everything goes through line managers and the top line of leadership isn't accessible, that sort of goes against one of the uh, the key the key elements of that mindset, doesn't it? So I think as a leader, I mean, certainly in a smaller business, I mean, I anticipate, obviously acknowledge that it is easier when your business is smaller. You've got to be accessible to the people that work with you, haven't you? And you've got to essentially have that sort of open door policy if you will yeah yeah it's difficult obviously the more the bigger the organization the more calls on your time and then so you have to balance accessibility and just practicality of of, you know you've got to focus on stuff and and, and what have you i think the key the key shift in, in mindset for me for any leader is you know, if you've got a culture and an environment where it's punitive and, and punishing and judgmental and, and harsh, it doesn't matter how many mental health days and yoga sessions you put on for your staff, the whole substance of the work is, 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 is going to be undermining people's mental health. And by the way, that, that's important because how can anybody be creative or strategic or make decisions effectively when they're in a state of fear all the time? Right, so in in a world that we're in at the moment, which is very very dynamic and shifting, and, and there's lots of you know things changing very very rapidly, your team needs to be in a position where they can think about ways of doing things that are perhaps novel or new or creative or different, not fearing making a suggestion because uh, a grumpy line manager and or CEO isn't managing their own mental health very well, so he's got a, a going to shoot down their um, their their ideas. So, so these things can, can sometimes be talked about purely in the form of, of like, we need to be compassionate and nice and accessible. But that's 
one element of this, and that, that's not unimportant. But what's actually, I would argue, more important for the business is if you cannot create um, plans, you cannot create products and services that are going to be able to adapt to the, to the fast-moving modern world we are living in, which is changing every two seconds. If your team are fearful of saying what they really think, or your team are burnt out. So this is not a kind of nicey-nicey, let's all like go and have a back rub on a one-day-a-year thing. This is a complete re-engineering of how you see the world, because if you don't do that, you cannot sustain your business over the, the medium or long term. You know, people, yeah, sure, short term can work uh, super hard and under those conditions. But really, if you want to sustain a business over time uh, and also sustain yourself over time, then really it's, it's not about being nice. It's about being um, smart and, and, um, and taking a, a long term view of, of your business with performance. That's exactly right. And um, I think as well, in this day and age that we're in, certainly post-pandemic, where we're hearing talk of, you know, the great resignation, let's say, um, Mm. you need to be acutely aware of these things. Because if you are creating a culture where, you know, burnout is happening and your employees don't necessarily feel valued, people are going to be inclined simply to walk away because they're far more aware of, you know, their purpose in life. What do they want to do? Is this the job for me? Because they're much more aware of, you know, their own mortality. And um, I think as well, when it comes to actually going and recruiting new people, I think if you don't have, you know, well-being at the forefront of what you do and there isn't that employee engagement there, it's going to be difficult to withdraw sort of draw sort of external talent in, isn't it? So it's, uh, it is something the yeah, business leaders need to be very aware of, certainly. Yeah, exactly. It's a competition for talent, and why would people stick with you if it's not a an environment in where they can flourish? And and that is where quote good mental health comes from. Is is not from like I say, sort of some window dressing around it and and and, and giving them a, a sort of subscription to, to a mindfulness app. It's it's about having a meaningful culture which is is able. To to support people to uh, be the best versions of themselves, you know, and that includes you as the leader, you know, and, and part of this is sort of shifting the mindset around from, uh, you know, from this sort of fear-based thing where it's all a bit of a drama into one where you can actually take control. And it, it, it's interesting. I was at a, a, a sort of networking dinner a couple of weeks ago, and it's a, a thing, sort of thing where people, entrepreneurs share problems they're facing. And I would say 80% of the problems that were shared that evening were um, when you shifted your mindset on that issue or when that person shifted their view of that issue, the framing of the issue, the understanding or how they perceived it, mm. the problem reduced by 80%. Yeah, so it was still a thing, but it wasn't anywhere near as big a thing. Yeah, so, so it was because how it was perceived by the person, by the individual, was dictating their emotional response to it. Right, so this is why mindset is so critical. Because if you're just if you're looking at a problem using one way of thinking, um, and you shift that way of thinking, suddenly the problem shrinks. Right, it's still a thing to be addressed, but it's not as dramatic, it's not as emotional, it's not as difficult. And so this is a sort of like I say, one's thinking, one's psychology is the primary technology, and technology is a tool. Right? A tool, you know, you know, I yeah, a stone axe is a tool, as a technology uh, back in the day. Now, uh, in a world where it's a knowledge-based economy and things are shifting very quickly, you, your psychology, your mindset is the primary technology you will use to then navigate through that to use as a tool. 
because all these problems and issues are, are, are very many shades of grey can all be interpreted in a way that's more grounded and more rooted in reality as opposed to the sort of uh, you know, the alternative being a kind of emotional response, fear-driven uh, response, which is not necessarily what reality really is. It's just how you are interpreting it. And that's important, isn't it? It kind of ties in with the uh, the whole chimp paradox, doesn't it? It's how you respond to certain situations. We can be so, so rational one moment and then kind of irrational and irate the uh, the next. And I suppose exactly. part of that is how we, it's how we also perceive situations. It's not just about the reaction. It's about how we read the room of what's going on. And then we can consider the response that we make to it. Exactly, and the chimp paradox, I would, I would think, is a, is a fantastic starting point. I mean, it, for me personally, it was a great breakthrough um, insight. And um, so understanding your, how your mind operates, how you, uh, are, you know, you, the chimp in your mind, and then when it can sabotage you, this is all a, 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 a sort of call it self-awareness, an awareness that, that makes you a much more uh, grounded uh, person. Mm. There's, a, there's a, a book which I would also recommend by um, Ray Dalio, the, um, the I think the most successful hedge fund manager ever. Um, his book is called Principles, and in the book he, he talks very much about how he uses meditation to calm his chimp and to understand uh, his own mind, and that allows him to see reality more clearly, so he can make better decisions. Uh, and so, what his in the book, Principles, he lays out his life and business principles that he uses to run his, his like I say, the most successful hedge fund ever, uh, a company called Bridgewater Associates. And the primary life principle, the number one principle he puts in his book, is to embrace reality and deal with it, i.e. deal with reality as it is, not as you want it to be. Okay, and part of the problem of people who haven't perhaps been that self-aware or that, 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 that sort of understanding of their own psychology is they interpret things in the way that they want it to be or the way they feel it should be. But that isn't what reality is. Reality is telling them something different. So they're actually negotiating with something that doesn't really exist. It's, a, it's an invention of their own mind, of their own psychology. So, so I can, like I say, this is why your own psychology your technology is the most important technology because if you haven't got that right, you're not actually, in, you can't embrace reality because you're not understanding the world in a real way. Mm. You know, it's, it's a, you're interpreting it through your chimp, through your kind of reactive mind, your emotional response, and not giving yourself the opportunity to see it clearly. And then if you're not making decisions on clear information about what reality really is, then you're going to have a difficult life. Yeah, I suppose this sort of ties into the circle of influence as well, doesn't it? I mean, you're sort of seeing things unfolding in the world that you cannot control. And rather than trying to sort of bring that into the circle of things that you can influence, you've got to just embrace them as they are and then focus on what you can control, your response to what's happening. And then you'll find that naturally you can things can sort of transpire more in the way that you want them to, rather than trying to essentially control everything that you simply cannot do. Yeah, and, and it's a fool's errand trying to do that. And then this, by the way, is, is ancient wisdom you're describing there. This is the Stoic philosophers are very much that's part of their, mm. um, their their view of the life. There's a there's a, a, um, there's a philosopher called uh, called Epictetus who I quite like. He was a he was a he was a, he was, a, he was, a, he was born into slavery back in Roman times, and, and eventually won his freedom and became a an advisor to Marcus Aurelius, who was the emperor at that time. But his, his, that was, but his primary view of life was there are some things within you, your power and some things that aren't. 
and say, don't worry about the things that aren't in your power and you just have to, in some ways, accept them and deal with them. But you can respond, you can work on how you respond to those things. So a pandemic is beyond your power to control, but what's within your power to control is your response to a pandemic, yeah? And so, mm-hmm. you, you know, if there's a mini budget that all sounds really sort of like it's making the world end, you can consume all the media and all the panic around it and feel out of control, or you can re- you can work on how you're responding to that, how you're implementing strategies in your, in your business or your life to, to respond to that and deal with the reality as it is, not as you fear it's going to be going back to Ray Dalio's point. So, so things that are outside of your control, well, just go position yourself in the flow of the river, as it were, but you can't change the fact that the river is taking you in a certain direction. You know, we've got to all go with that. And, and I think coming back to mental health, this is a source of poor mental health. Yep. You're trying to control things outside of your control. You can't do it. So don't try. Let it go. It's almost surrender to the fact you're out of control and control what you can control. And what you can control is your own psychology, your own mindset, how you respond to information. You can control what's going on within your business to an extent, and or you set principles that you can try and work to with your team. And that then, you know, yeah, if it all goes to hell in a handbasket and we're all, I don't know, living on the street in, in six years, then maybe that was the way it was meant to be. And don't sweat it too much because ultimately, you know, you can only do what you can do. That is exactly right. And certainly food for thought for anybody tuning into this podcast, whether you run a business or not. And uh, certainly if what we've discussed on the show today particularly resonates with you, you can actually leave a comment with us or ask us a question on this via leaderscouncil.co.uk forward slash contact hyphen us. Um, We've talked an awful lot, Daniel, today about obviously the fact that, you know, we are in a sort of difficult economic situation and you've you mentioned there the mini budget and it feels like the world's going to end. And now is the time where we really need to sort of consider exactly what information we're absorbing and we consider our reactions to the situation around us so with that in mind over the next 12 months just before we wrap things up um what is it that the uh, that yourselves at the tech departments are hoping to achieve and where do you see yourselves 12 months from now um yeah i mean we're sticking to our focus so we're not worrying about i mean if i'm honest I'm, i've just stopped watching the news now because the news is you know, not my friend. It's just trying to make me scared and fearful so it can keep me watching it. And so, you know, yeah, well, there's stuff going on and I'm very well informed, but I don't, you know, listen to the Today Show every every day. And so I think primarily, just be very careful about where your information is coming from. You know, like if you're cruising Twitter at midnight, looking at, you know, people's comments about nuclear war or what have you, then, you know, maybe just stop doing that. Um and the second thing is, is sort of stick. What we've done is we've really niched down to a very clear audience. We're trying to work with. We want to work with impact-led startup founders who want to outsource their technology to build a digital product. And our business is focused on its marketing and its communication on that audience because we know they need what we offer, and that's an area where people need to invest, not would like to invest. Yeah. So, so trying to focus on a niche that really needs what you do, and there's a quite a way of framing this: is, is you want to find someone. So you want to create a product or service which is a a painkiller, not a vitamin pill, right? Because you know, if I don't take my vitamin C today, then you know, maybe or maybe not, it'll impact my health. If I've got a stinking headache, I'm going to get that neurofeedback on my neck, you know. 
And so if you've got a product which is a painkiller, not a vitamin pill, and you really focus your energies and, and, and attention on serving your audience and genuinely serving your customer and actually giving them something that is a fantastic value, then, then you know, in a difficult economic climate, you're going to be still very useful and people will still invest. Uh, whereas if you've got a really woolly customer that you're serving and you're not really adding a lot of value and your, your service is, is nice to have but not critical to have, it's a vitamin pill, not a painkiller, mm. then then you're in a difficult position because people, you know, they don't know why they should spend the money with you. So they won't. And, you know, I think this is, this is, this is what we're trying to do is just keep it focused, tune out anything that's just unnecessary noise. You know, it just, it's just going to create stress and asshole and confusion and just focus on what's important and keep doing what we're doing. The, the sort of, again, talking about principles, but like serving our customer, communicating clearly, and sticking to our guns. And in a year's time, I, I see it. I mean, we're quite optimistic about the future. We think that what we're doing is very meaningful and purposeful and uh, has genuine value to our clients. And so, you know, we, we see ourselves growing by uh, 30% in the next year. And um, and so, we, we, you know, so we're, we're very confident. And um, whilst obviously there's a difficult economic climate, there are some certain principles at play, which is people need technology, which is what we do, mm. and they need it doing in a way which uh, which is better than, than our competitors, which is what we do with our boot camp method. And so that is proving to be true, and so we just carry on doing what we're doing. And let's certainly hope it transpires to uh, to good effect. And uh, I'd love the opportunity, Dan, to welcome you back onto the show in future, just to see how it's all coming together for you at some point in the uh, the next year or so. Um, but until then, um, thanks ever so much for taking the time to join us on the show. And I do hope that everybody tuning into this show has thoroughly enjoyed the interview. And uh, do take care with uh, more still going on, Dan, and keep in touch. I will do. I'm happy to come on again. Thank you. It would be fantastic. And it's been a real pleasure for myself, host Scott Challoner, to welcome Daniel Kirby from the tech department onto today's show. And um, as always, um, for everybody listening into this program, um, if you um, are affected by any of the issues that we've discussed today and you want to come onto the program to share your perspective or even bring your own topical matter or issue to the discussion table, then you too can apply to be on our program via leaderscouncil.co.uk forward slash apply. Until next time, to all of our listeners, do take care and goodbye.